This podcast contains heavy-hearted discussions of depression, anxiety, suicide, and other topics that could be triggering. It does not, however, contain any official medical advice, so do your own research, folks. When you have a concussion, it affects everyone around you, and it can alter the relationships that you have with people. And that might be difficult to hear because if you're like me, it might be something that you worry about as though to not be a burden to your friends and family. However, the reality is your behavior changes and therefore it can change the relationships that you do have with your friends and family. And in my experience, after my concussion, some people didn't understand what I was dealing with or lost patience with me along the way. And on the flip side, as someone who is supporting a person going through a brain injury, it can be hard to know what kind of support to offer, when to offer support, and how to be there for your loved one. Heads Up for Hope is a nonprofit that is based in Colorado and provides support for people living with brain injuries as well as for caregivers or family members of those affected by concussions. So I called Diane Smook to talk to her about what people might expect when they join a support group. Hi, Diane. Well, thank you for having me, Amy. I'm very excited to share our experience with Heads Up for Hope. I'm Diane Smook. I'm a retired occupational therapist with 40 years experience. I live in Colorado in Eagle County. Eagle County is sort of in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. So we have a lot of skiing around here. Alpine, skinning, snowboarding, ice climbing. Since retiring from occupational therapy, Diane has been volunteering for Heads Up for Hope since its inception. So I asked Diane how she got involved. So um, when this group was starting, I was sort of looking for some place to use my talents, use my passion, my interest, but I was retired. When I first joined Heads Up for Hope, it was a little ad in the paper, some people with who survived brain injuries found that they were, there was no support here. There was no medical care here in Eagle County. And when I retired, I really missed being in the clinic, in the therapy world. I don't have a brain injury or never suffered a concussion, but I thought that my experience could provide some depth to the group. This past summer, we were able to secure our 501c3 nonprofit status which elevated the awareness for our community members that we have a support group. Prior to this, there was no Mm -hmm. support for any person who had any kind of brain trauma. I talked to Diane about the resource allocation and realized how much it varies, not only per country, but also per state. And yet, in the same breath, it seems like everyone is under-resourced and struggling to access the proper level of care that they need. So in the United States, we have 5.3 million people a year who have suffered traumatic brain injuries. 
Colorado ranks about 13th for people who have suffered a traumatic brain injury that require hospitalization. The age range is 15 to 24 or 65 plus. That's the most people that have brain injuries. If you're fortunate enough to live in a big city that has a big rehab center, there are many resources available for the acute brain injury, the rehabilitation, the outpatient, and then the ongoing access to care. So when our members of our community fall and hit their head, they go to the emergency room and our emergency room handles sustaining life, stabilizing life, but we have no neurologist. If the person has a very bad brain injury, they get sent to Denver, which is about two hour drive from us. And there is a lot of resources in the Denver area. But if you suffer a minor traumatic brain injury or a concussion, even if it's a severe one, the reaction to our emergency room is go home and rest. Mm -hmm. Sounds familiar. Yeah. And and then what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What what does resting mean? The problem with the healthcare system in the United States is after you're done with your rehab, follow-up sometimes is very, very difficult, even with the standard insurance. They'll say, you've already, you've already participated in that. And no, we're not going to let you do that. So we don't have a network here for what to do with people who have been very active Again, that age range, 15 to 25 and over 65, we don't have a lot of help here because we don't have a neurologist in, on, our, in, on our staff. It's not unusual for small hospitals to not have a neurologist. The problem with only having two neurologists in these three or four county area is that when you suffer a traumatic brain injury, you could have up to a nine-month wait to see a neurologist. Mm-hmm. I find that very hard as to accept as care. Here in the States, in order for you to have health care insurance, you need to be employed. So then you lose your job. Then you have to jump through all of our hoops to get, the, to get on government plans. It takes a while to get onto our disability program so people would have some funds coming in. So it's very difficult to access the healthcare situation. Well, if you don't have funds, some of our, many of our people don't have cars. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you going to get to Denver to access these services? And then how are you going to pay for those? So there's a lot of barriers along the way for people to figure out where they can go for, for care and where can they go for support. We have a community paramedic program We don't have a really good home health situation here in our community, but the community paramedic program can go to people's houses and help them with things like safety features, helping them with their financing, helping them with organizing their house. Many of our people say they they can't have anybody come into their house because their house is in complete disarray and they can't figure out how to fix it. And they can't figure out what to do with these things. So they can't, they can't complete any of those tasks. So the, 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 the piles pile up 
and all of a sudden they're in chaos and their brain is in chaos. So the community paramedics help a lot with Mm. that. And we found that out once we started reaching out to other community programs. Interesting. Yeah, because I think one of the hardest parts about living after a brain injury is asking for help and knowing Mm -hmm. what you can and can't ask for and who to ask. Because those things seem like things that you would not be able to ask for or help on. Right. And so the interesting thing about the support group is lots of individuals are seeking other alternatives and seeking other options. So by them seeking other options, they bring that to the support group. So we have had education on alternative medicines, on alternative treatment techniques, on different supplements that may help with brain health. So because of this group, we're getting a lot of information coming into our brain injured community that they can start to seek other things. So there's a sense of hope instead of a sense of isolation and despair. And that's where I see a huge improvement in our uh, brain injury community. I talked to Diane about the resource allocation and realized how much it varies, not only per country, but also per state. And yet, in the same breath, it seems like everyone is under-resourced and struggling to access the proper level of care that they need. Some of our people, years after the event, are finding out that their skull was fractured that nobody knew about. Mm -hmm. One of our members was in a motorcycle accident where a car hit him. He had a lot of orthopedic injuries. Mm-hmm. Our facility, our local facility, like I said, is a great facility for orthopedic problems. They took him to the hospital. They fixed all of his bones. They took care of everything. Nobody said to him, we think you may have a brain injury. So he lived a year at home with his wife going through all the symptoms. And his mm-hmm. wife is saying, what happened to my husband? And eventually he ran into somebody like, just casually, and he was sharing this information with somebody. And they said, you know, it sounds like you have a brain injury. And he's like, nobody ever said anything to me about that. So they connected him with somebody who could evaluate him. And they said, yes, you had a severe brain injury. But when you have an orthopedic injury, they will put a cast on you and they kind of know it takes six weeks for a bone to heal. So you look at your calendar and you have six weeks. Okay. And then the cast comes off and you have another maybe six or eight weeks of some kind of supportive care, some kind of therapy and exercises to get you back and running. And pretty soon you're on your way. If you have a heart attack, it's the same thing. They know you're in cardiac rehab phase one in the hospital. You're in phase two for 12 weeks. You're in phase three for the next whatever. And there's time frames that people can help hang on to to help them in their recovery. For brain injuries, there's no time frame. Yeah. I have always said that. How are you supposed to rest, ice, compress, and elevate your brain? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And resting your brain means when you after at the acute phase, resting your brain means no screen time, Mm -hmm. no listening to music, no reading, stay in a dark room decrease the stimulus so your brain can heal. Mm. 
And when you don't do that, you can't rush that process. And each brain injury is its own unique injury. And each brain, just like the fingerprints on our fingertips, each brain is its own unique brain. Yeah. I call them tune-ups. You see the person for, now I'm talking not acutely and not at the rehab stage, but at the community reentry stage. Mm-hmm. When they are fu- they're good enough in the clinic and there's a clinic, they're doing their clinical things. Now they have to go home and live. Yeah. They have to initiate getting out of bed in the morning. They have to initiate getting into a shower. What do you need to get, take a shower? What kind of clothes do you need? What kind of products do you need? How much time do you need? Can you get through the sequence? Can you make a meal? Can you make breakfast? Can you write a check? Can you manage your finances? Can you read? Can you go to work? Mm-hmm. And so the medical community says, oh, your brain is done. But now you have to live life. Yeah. And there's holes in your life, really, truly holes. So what we tell people when we get together in our support group is share your experiences so that other people, number one, know that there, are, there may be options for them. Number two, you're not alone. Everybody is looking to fix their brain in our group. You know, it's the camaraderie in our group that has given strength to our people. And and we have seen improvements. The other thing is the improvements happen over time. And there's no time identified in recovering from a brain injury. When you are a family member or a friend of a person that is living with a brain injury, what do you think is the best way to go about providing support? And I guess maybe it's a two-parter question because I'm sure that that answer varies so much depending on the age of the person as well, whether they're maybe in that lower age group or the senior age group. So what I've What I've discovered is that we need to keep the environment quiet. So you don't want the TV blasting, the music blasting, and then talking to your family member. It's too much. They can't, they can't process that. A person who hasn't had a brain injury, there's a TV on the background. Do you hear it? Probably not. There may be music in the background. You may be listening to it, but if somebody talks, your brain can put it down and say, okay, we're going to block that so I can listen to the conversation. With people with brain injuries, or concussions, they have a hard time filtering out all that external stimulus. So if you want to engage in a conversation, what I would say is have a quiet a, a quiet space. Turn the t- TV off or turn it down. Turn the music off so you have a quiet space. Ask one question at a time. So instead of saying, so what do you want for dinner? I was thinking chicken or meatloaf or maybe some soup. And then for dessert, we can have this. That's too much. I'm preparing dinner. Do you want chicken or hamburgers? Give a choice. Don't do all that extra talk because they can't process Mm -hmm. it. Be patient in repeating the same information multiple times without being cranky about it. Like, I've told you that five times. It's that there's no help in saying that. When we say that to somebody who's had a brain injury or a concussion, it makes them feel like 
I'm stupid. I just can't remember what you said. And then it decreases their trust to ask the next question because they get feel reprimanded because they can't remember. It's not that they're not listening. Well, they may be not listening. Listening could be a problem. But if they're able to listen and they heard you, they five minutes later, they may not remember what you said. Yeah. So that's the other advantage of the support group is people forget things all the time and everybody chuckles and says, I get that. It's okay. Ask it again, you know? So having a, a welcoming environment that allows people to ask questions, limiting um, the environment. So getting rid of clutter. And I said that a lot of these people live alone or they live with roommates. So clutter happens, you know? Remember your days in college or college dorm days and clutter? And you could process that and organize it? Well, for somebody who's a brain injury, that environment needs to be kind of clean so that they don't have all that visual stimulation. A lot of people who don't remember things, we put stickers. I've put stickers on cabinets. Glasses here, coffee mugs here, um, you know, crackers there, cereal on this cabinet. And that helps. Those visual cues help written in letters that people can read, you know, not tiny things. What we found in our group is that taking a walk outside, sunshine is really good. It's helpful for many things. But take, being outside and walking has been very helpful. One of our community members, when she first came to us, she couldn't even tolerate being with us for an hour and a half. She would be with us for half an hour and have an, a panic attack and have to go home and kind of get in, into a quiet space and kind of regroup. Slowly, she was able to be in our groups, our meetings a little longer. Now she's here from beginning to end. She really likes dogs. And how she started was she went to our local animal shelter and just walked a few dogs. And so everybody's different. But if you can tap into what the person used to like to do, a lot of times that can be the bridge to get them going. Mm -hmm. So music is a big one. A lot of our people play, have played musical instruments. People who have difficulty reading a book, one of the uh, suggestions was to go to the library and get the book, a book you want to read, and then get that book on tape, on a CD or on your phone, like how we can download book audiobooks and read your book while you're reading, while you're listening to the tape. So you're listening and reading at the same time, the same mm. story. So that ha has helped several people because a lot of people like to read, but they say, I can't read. I can't follow yes. the lines. Other clues for reading is to use a ruler. You know, on the line of a book or a magazine or newspaper, use the ruler because you get to the end and then your eyes don't know where to go next. Yeah. Like you lose. So that's helpful. Some people have taken and taken a blank piece of paper and cut a rectangle out of it, the width of the book or the magazine or newspaper. So they're really only seeing one line at a time. Okay. Yeah. And that's been helpful to help people because reading is really important in our lives. I mean, it's how we get a lot of information. With so much variation in resource availability and so many factors that depend on that resource availability, 
I asked Diane what we can do if we don't have access to the traditional medical sources and resources available to concussion patients. There's an organization called Love Your Brain, and they have promoted a special yoga program and various yoga positions that would increase blood flow to your brain. So you can, I'm not sure if you can access that on a, like a YouTube, but you could access yoga activities on YouTube, which doesn't cost you anything. We start our meetings with the breathing exercises, like the inhale and the exhale, and that helps to set yourself. So when people are starting to get into anxiety or panic attacks, we teach them their breathing techniques to kind of help refocus their bodies and refocus their mind on breathing. There are a lot of things on the YouTube and the internet to help people. There's also a lot of community things like through various exercise programs, YMCAs, community rec centers. They have a lot of those kind of quieter classes that will help people. But what we find is yoga and meditation and breathing are very helpful. So we can do that for like low income, no income people. So the key number one is to prevent a brain injury all, at all you can. Wear seatbelts every single time you're in a car. Helmets are key, like really, truly key. So teaching kids at a young age, it's okay to wear a helmet. Don't worry about what your hair looks like. Don't worry about your, what your makeup looks like. Put a helmet on. And then, you know, be, be educated. Reach out for resources. Don't be afraid to ask, really, truly. You, especially if you look at the Brain Injury Alliance people, they're really a good start of what kind of information they have out there. So then you can get questions like, how does that affect me? What's the question I need to ask? It, it is hard to ask for help. People don't want to ask for help. So we need to be patient with our people who have experienced brain injuries, TBIs, concussions, because sometimes their, their symptoms and what they're feeling is something that we can't put our finger on, Yeah, you know? So it's, it's a lot of different components in here. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. It's that invisible illness. That's so hard to describe to people. And it's so hard to ask people for help. Okay, thank you, Diane. You're welcome. It was nice talking to you, Amy. Thank you. After my accident, there were a lot of things that I felt people wouldn't understand about me or people were showing me that they wouldn't understand about me. These mostly related to the severe concussion symptoms that I was experiencing like headaches, migraines, dizziness, emotional trauma. And I found peace and support and understanding from people in online support groups, particularly at the time was Facebook groups and being able to connect with other people online that were also experiencing the same things that I was, where I didn't feel like a burden expressing the issues that I was having or questioning the feelings that I was experiencing. They were so instrumental and so helpful and I'm so thankful to all of the people that I talked to online because they really did save my life in many ways. And 
without that level of support online that I felt like I couldn't receive from those who were closest to me, I don't know where I would be today. And so I really encourage people to check out online support groups or physical support groups if there are any available in your area and connect with people who are experiencing something similar to you because community does really bring us together. And if you don't have access to your friends and family or you don't have the kind of relationship where you feel like you could talk to them about these kinds of things, definitely check out a support group. If you want to know more about what Diane and the team is working on, go to headsupforhope.org. And as always, if you like the show, don't forget to share it with a friend or someone who you think might benefit from hearing the episode. And thank you so much for your support. If you liked these episodes, please head over to the donation page that I have set up where all of the donations are going directly to Brain Injury Canada so that they can help set up resources for Canadians who need access to care. And thank you so much to everyone who has donated so far.